Welcome to the program today. I'm Carolyn Savell, and it's my privilege to be able to share with you the Word of God in this next 30-minute broadcast. We're going to talk about a subject that's so near and dear to my heart, and I hope you stay tuned to the whole 30 minutes because this subject is on the blood, the blood of the Lamb. And I'm telling you in these last days that we're alive in, you're going to need this revelation like no other generation has ever needed it before. So today when we began, I want you to get your Bibles out. We're going to start in the book of Genesis, chapter 4. And I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. And it will tell us that we see here the story unfolding about Cain and Abel. And we see that Cain and Abel did not believe what their parents had taught them. But in verse 5, but for Cain and his offering, he had no respect or regard. So Cain was exceedingly angry and indignant, and he looked sad and depressed. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why do you look sad and depressed and dejected? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin crouches at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. The New International Version in verse 2 says, now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of his firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain's offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do not what is right, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you or to master you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let go, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain killed his brother. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And he answered, I don't know. And he replied, I am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries from the ground. So he said, you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Verse 12, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you and you will be restless and wander on the earth. And we see that Cain talked with Abel, his brother, in Genesis 4, 8, the NIV, the same verses we've just read, but I want to read to you the margin rendering in your Bible. The word talked is the word quarreled. He quarreled with his brother, and perhaps the quarrel centered around how to approach God with their sacrifices or with their offerings. In any case, Cain's heart was hardened against God's way. And the commentary in my NIV, it says, Cain brought some of the fruit. Chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Cain brought some of the fruit. But Abel brought fat portions from the firstborn, or as the other translations say, the firstborn of his flock. The contrast is not between an offering of plant life or an offering of animal life, but between a careless, thoughtless offering and a choice offering or generous offering. He didn't bring the first portion of his fruit. He just brought some of the fruit. And I've heard ministers say that it was a careless offering. It wasn't his first fruit or the tithe of the produce, the tithe or the till of the ground. No, I get this from David Asselbrook's 
uh, book, he says, and, and let me go to it, the concept of making sacrifices in the minds of most believers today is to give up something of value or endure something of hardness for the Lord. This concept is formed in our thinking due to the biblical procedure when Arah freely offered King David the threshing floor and the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord. David replied, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, with that which costs me nothing. A sacrifice which costs the sacrificer nothing was not a sacrifice. So in ancient Israel, when the Israelites would search out the best of the flock and would pay the owner a suitable price, then he would bring the animal to the priest to offer it to the Lord. So I want you to know, when we study this, it says, uh, just my supposition, maybe in type and pattern, could it be that Cain could have given some of his produce or some of his fruit, he could have purchased a lamb or an animal from his brother to be able to offer an animal sacrifice like his father and his mother taught them. God slayed an animal for us and the blood was shed. God would have taught Adam and Eve this. And in turn, Adam and Eve taught their children. Otherwise, why would Abel kill an animal and offer the blood? And God was pleased with that offering. Don't you think in type and in pattern that God taught Adam and Eve? Then Adam and Eve taught Cain and Abel the same principle? He did. He taught them the very same principle. This is the way that God initiated it. And God had an altar at the gate of Eden. And why would God, God put an angel of the Lord, was put there to guard the entrance to the garden so they could not go back in and eat of the tree and live forever. So there was an altar that was placed at the entrance to the Garden of Eden. And I'm convinced in my own heart that this is where Adam and Eve offered sacrifices and where they took their children and taught their children the very same principle. Before God instituted the covenant of the shedding of blood with Abraham, then all the tribes from those thousands of years prior to that had the shedding of blood or animals in a covenant sacrifice that were offered to their gods. So this was the reason that sacrifices were accepted firstly because it was not the tithe or the first fruit or the produce. Um, and secondly, I think it was because it was not a blood sacrifice like his parents had taught him. So the word angry means God did not look with favor on Cain and his offering. And Cain's motivation and his attitude were bad from the beginning. It says in the commentary that sin is crouching at your door. The Hebrew word for crouching is the same as an ancient Babylonian word referring to an evil demon is crouching at the door of a building to threaten the people inside. Sin may thus be pictured here just as a demon waiting to pounce on Cain. It says it's desirous to have you. Uh, this demon, it was already manifesting himself through his brother because uh, Cain slew Abel. He was, the, the uh, demon was waiting and it did crouch on Cain. It, it entered him and he accepted these thoughts to kill his brother. It's desirous to have you in the Hebrew is the same expression is as that for your desire will be for your husband in Genesis 3.16. So NIV ver, verse 4.8, 
The commentary says, attacked his brother and killed him. So the first murder was especially monstrous because it was committed with deliberate deceit. The first murder was premeditated murder in a rage of jealousy. He killed his brother because his brother did it God's way. Then he didn't do it God's way. Cain did it his own way. So then a most amazing thing happens. Abel's blood cries out to God from the ground. Abel was innocent. God's heard Abel's blood crying out to him. So we see here the first time in Scripture that blood has a voice. Once more, God talked to Cain. And again, it says that Cain hardened his heart to God because we read in the New Testament, Jude 11, uh, the King James says, Woe to him, for they have gone in their way, in the way of Cain. So Abel's blood cries out from the ground for vengeance. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 24, the Amplified states, And to Jesus the mediator, or the go-between, the agent of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of mercy, a better and nobler and more gracious message than the blood of Abel, which cries out for vengeance. So Jesus' blood cries forgiveness, mercy, grace, peace, love. His blood cries forgiveness for all of mankind where Abel's blood cried out for vengeance, for revenge, and God's blood cries out for forgiveness, for love, for peace and mercy for all people. Jude 11, King James Version, again, woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. I want to go back to the Garden of Eden just for a minute, and let's talk about this. Um, when we see Adam and Eve and what uh, God did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we see that he is the one that first initiated the shedding of blood, the killing of an animal, and that blood being poured out for the sin of Adam and Eve. And I do fully believe that Adam and Eve, being good parents, taught their children, Cain and Abel, the importance of the shedding of blood, and that was how their sins were atoned for. That's how their sins were covered. And can you see how to, out of outright rebellion, Cain said, I'm going to do it my way. I see this happening and this being the first religion that was initiated uh, in planet Earth, a self-religion, where I'm going to do it my way. I think there were so some songs that were written, I'll do it my way. Well, God doesn't want us to do it our way. He wants us to do it His way. And His way is by the blood of the Lamb. His way is by the blood of Jesus. So as any good parent, they taught their children how to approach God was with the shedding of blood the, the uh, killing of an animal, the sacrifice. A sacrifice had to be made. So can you see the rebellion that took place in Cain when he said, I'm going to do it my way. I'm not going to do it God's way. And I'm not going to do it the way that my parents taught me. And can you see why God refused to receive his offering? Because it was not the way that God initiated it. So in turn, God smiled upon Abel's offering and rejected Cain's offering. And so can you see the hardness of his heart? Where Can you see Satan then beginning to speak to Cain and, and telling him that this is the way you can do it? You should be able to do it your way. Your fruit should be just as acceptable. 
You know, this all made sense to me because when I was growing up, I couldn't understand why God would be so mean and not accept Cain's offering. But when I saw it through the picture of the blood, it makes sense to me that God had to be approached by blood. When you think about it and you think about the sin that takes place in man's life, that we can only approach God through the shedding of blood, and that's through Jesus. Thank God for the shedding of blood. Amen. Well, let's go back in Genesis chapter 4 uh, and chapter 6. The Amplified tells how sin multiplied rapidly in the earth. And uh, it was very great in the earth. In Genesis 5:22, we read how Enoch walked in habitual fellowship with God after the birth of Methuselah, 300 years, and had other sons and daughters. Verse 23, so the days of Enoch were 356 years. And Enoch, his name means dedication, walked in habitual fellowship with God. And he was not, for God took him home with him. Can you imagine walking in such habitual fellowship with God that God cannot do without you? And he said one day to Enoch, you're so dear to my heart that I'm taking you home to me. And that's what happened. Enoch was translated. And what a beautiful picture of the promise to you and I that one day we're going to all be translated in the catching away of the church. So we see sin was abounding on planet earth. It was so great. Sin came up on and the smell of sin came up into the nostrils of God. And on the other hand, there was a man walking in habitual fellowship with God. He was in such close fellowship with God that God just walked him right on to heaven. God said, I can't live without you and I want you close to me. And God took Enoch to heaven with him. That's the way God wants it to be with us fellowship and communion with Him, that we're daily walking in such close fellowship with Him. We're not loving and talking with the world, but we're loving and talking with Him day by day. And when that day comes, that's been preordained in the mind and heart of Father God, that He'll just take us right on to glory. Now, I want us to look in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. It states that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination and intention of all human thinking was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved at heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy, blot out, and wipe away mankind whom I have created from the face of the ground. Not only man, but the beast and the creeping things and the birds of the air. For he grieves me and makes me regretful that I have made them. But look at verse 9. This verse 9 should be, oh, an exciting verse for us to read. For Noah found grace, favor in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because he thought on the Lord. And this is the history of the generations of Noah. Noah was a just and righteous man, blameless in his evil generation. Noah walked Look at the next part of it in the Amplified. It says, in habitual fellowship with God. The same thing that Enoch did, Noah did. He walked in habitual fellowship with God. The earth was depraved and putrid in God's sight, and the land was filled with violence, desecration, infringement, outrage, assault, and lust for power. Is that not a picture of what's going on in planet earth today? In verse 12, 
And God looked upon the world and saw degenerate, debased, and vicious it was. For all humanity had corrupted themselves and corrupted their way upon the earth and lost their true direction. Enoch had warned these people in Jude 14 and 15, and it will tell you how that Enoch was a preacher of righteousness and tried to warn these people of the coming judgment of God. That's what I'm doing today. I'm warning you of the coming judgment of God. Noah had preached righteousness to them. And it tells us that in 2 Peter 2, 5, that God's Spirit has been striving with them. God's Spirit had been warning them. God's Spirit had been preparing them. It wasn't like the earth was caught off guard and God just decided to do this. They had been preaching and they'd been telling the people on planet earth this for years Yet they rejected God and were without excuse. That's what's happening today. I mean, there's 24 hours a day Christian TV on, and everyone is preaching that there's going to be a catching away of the church. There's going to be a rapture. You're being warned. You're being prepared. Jesus is coming soon. In Genesis 7, 1, Amplified, And the Lord said to Noah, Come with all your household into the ark, for I have seen your righteous, upright and right standing before me in this generation. And of every clean beast, you shall receive and take with you seven pairs, the male and his mate, and of the beast and that are clean, a pair of each kind, the male and his mate. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. And let's skip to verse 11. In the year 600 of Noah's life, in the 17th day of the seventh month, the same day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and burst forth, and the windows and the floodgates of heavens were opened. And on the same day Noah and Shem, Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons, and them went into the ark. And the Lord shut him in and closed round about him, and the Lord shut him in and completely protected, totally protected him and his family the family of the righteous from the judgment of God and everything that was being poured out upon planet earth. And the waters became mighty and increased and great upon the land and the ark. I love this in the Amplified. The ark went gently floating upon the surface of the waters. Don't you love that? Did you see the connotation there? When all the forces of the water being poured out upon planet earth and the judgment of sin was being poured out, there were those righteous and right standing with God in fellowship with Him that went gently floating upon the waters. And all of those were, that were down below, the destruction that was down below was horrific, but they went gently floating upon the waters. That's the way God has planned it for us, the way it will be in our lives. God destroyed all living creatures except the eight people and the animals and fowl that were in the ark. And it is very significant that Noah, when he came out of the ark, offered burnt offerings. God, as soon as the ark was empty and the flood was over, in Genesis 8-1, the Amplified says, God earnestly remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that went with him in the ark. He remembered them because of the blood and because of the words that had come from his mouth. And Noah went forth... He and his wife with their children, and they, uh, after being in the ark one year and 10 days, in verse 19, 
Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever moves on the land went forth by families out of the ark. Verse 20, And Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean four-footed animals and every clean fowl or bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing odor, a scent, a satisfaction to his heart, the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the imagination, strong desire of man's heart is evil continually and wicked from his youth. Neither will I ever again smite and destroy every living thing as I have done. And while the earth remains seen time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. And God pronounced, I want you to look at this. God pronounced a blessing upon Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Oh, God's wonderful provision. So I want you to notice God spoke the same things here to Noah that he spoke to Adam and Eve. So it's very significant that Noah offered these burnt offerings to God as soon as the ark was empty after the flood. Noah was the only righteous man on earth just before the flood. Noah worshiped God as he required, beginning with Adam and Eve. And we see Noah worshiping God like this in Genesis 8, 20. And Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean four-footed animal and of every clean fowl or bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. I want you to notice this. The word altar means that which characterizes a walk in separation with God or depending upon and worship of God. Let's go back and look at that again. It says a total separation, a dependence upon and a leaning upon God and worshiping of God. He had to kill the animals and in turn blood was shed. Blood was put upon the altar. The blood of an innocent animal was shed to provide again an appeasement or an atonement. A burnt offering to the Lord, blood was shed for the covering of their sin. So Noah's worship in Genesis 8:21, when the Lord smelled the pleasant odor, a satisfaction to his heart. Oh my goodness, we see the blood again when God started over with mankind. Please watch this announcement and I'll be right back. There is power in the blood of Jesus. In the four CD teaching set, A Revelation of the Blood, Carolyn Savell reveals powerful insight into the true meaning of the blood of Jesus. Learn how to use the blood to protect your family, overcome sickness, and achieve victory in every area of your life. We've sang about it for years. Now learn how vital His blood is for you. In the life-changing book, The Intensity of Your Desires, you will discover how to reach the heart of God and receive the very desires of your heart. If you've ever wondered why some prayers are answered and others still aren't, then this book is for you. Stop praying hit and miss and learn the key to unlocking the answers to your prayers. Request this powerful combo by Carolyn Savell, a revelation of the blood and the intensity of your desires. Call or go online to jerrysavell.org. Don't wait. Learn everything you can about the power of the blood today. I just can't tell you how vitally important these products are for you to get them into your home. 
You know, growing up in a home where the blood was talked about all the time, my mother raised me uh, to honor the blood and to respect the blood. And, and you know, as a teenager, you're rebellious and you go out and do things that you're not supposed to do on several occasions. And I'll never forget on one occasion, mother uh, that night was praying for me. I'd gone out with a group of teenagers. And when I came home, I was telling her a story how that we were almost in a head-on collision. And she said to me, Carolyn, I know you were. She said, the Lord had me up and I was praying and covering you in the blood of Jesus. So, you know, it's so important to get these products and learn the importance of how valuable the blood is so that when you're raising your children like I have mine and raise, uh, helping raise grandchildren, seven grandchildren, it's so important that every single day when they leave home that you know your children and your grandchildren are going to return home unharmed at the close of the day because you've learned the value of the blood of Jesus, that there's not one thing Satan can do that can cause their lives to be destroyed or hurt or harmed in any way because there's a bloodline around them. There's a circle. They are covered in the blood. So the blood of Jesus is so vitally important to us for our families. I want us to look at some things about the blood. The blood has a voice. Abel's blood cries out to God from the ground, but Abel was innocent. God heard Abel's blood crying out to him. When we use the blood of Jesus, that is innocent blood, and that blood cries out, and I'm telling you, when it that name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus goes into the darkness of Satan's domain, Satan has to back up and let go of whatever it is that you are pleading the blood about. The blood of Jesus, it has a voice. Jesus' blood has a voice, and Jesus' blood is crying out, innocence, freedom, mercy, grace, peace. So that's what, when we use the blood of Jesus and the name of Jesus, that's what's being cried out in our behalf, in behalf of the person that you're using that for. Now, I want us to go back just for a minute or so and look at this about the word altar. The word altar, when Noah built the altar, when he came out of the ark, the word altar, the definition is that which characterizes a walk in separation with God, depending upon and worship of God. So every morning, I like to build an altar. When I get up out of bed and get ready for my day, I bow my knee, and it could be sitting in a chair, it could be bowing my knee at a certain spot, but I bow my knee is a characterization as a walk in separation with God, depending upon and worshiping Him that day. So that's what you need to do every day. Separate yourself to God and give yourself to Him. And when you do, you put all of the things in force that that blood provides for you. Uh, the life or life force is in the blood. God is the sole Lord of all life. He is sovereign over the blood and therefore the life of all men. He avenges the shedding of innocent human blood and all animal blood belongs to God. So it's holy because it was used as a holy offering to God. So I'm telling you, blood is the representative of that life, which is the essence of God himself. So when you use the blood of Jesus, it is the very essence 
of the life of God Himself. Think about the power of that when you use the blood of Jesus. Well, we look forward to seeing you again next week. We love you and have a wonderful day.